life, the universe, and everything in between. Graham Hill's Weekend Variety Wireless on Radio Live. For the very, very first time in 1978, the opening track to Talking Heads' second album, More Songs About Buildings and Food. And it quickly became a favourite. You hope the second album's going to be as good. It is, as aunties say. My, haven't you grown? Grant Smithies. <laughs> Indeed. It was one of the rare occasions where a sequel is better than the original thing. Like The Godfather Part 2. Yeah. Less weedy, more strange, funkier. Yeah. More agitated, sonically more intricate and strange. It's yeah. just such a stupendous record. It's, it's, it remains one of my favourite records anyone ever made, not just out of 1978. And my favourite of their records. There's a wrist wrestle goes on between this and Remain in Light yeah. for me. Yeah. But this one usually wins by a whisker. As if Talking Heads 77 was, it's not that it's not good. Think of Psycho Killer. Oh, Love Goes to a Building on Fire. I love heaps of those tunes, actually. And they kind of laid out the stall in some ways, didn't they, for this neurotic, jittery, anxious persona that a lot of people down the years assumed was David Byrne being ironic. But I've interviewed him at length on the phone and got the impression that this is probably actually <laughs> what it was like when he was making these songs. Yeah. I think a lot of them were deeply sincere. I totally concur. It's not as if there is a shortage of anxious, nerdy people in New York in 1978. <laughs> no. So they, they exist. He's one of them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And writing songs directly informed by that, I think. I don't if people assumed he was some mastermind at some sort of emotional remove from these things, but I, yeah, I don't buy it. I think he was a strange, agitated dude. And I asked him about that specifically, which I'll talk about a bit later on. He responded to that. You know, lots of songs on here about being anxious, overworked, desperate to find love. There's a sort of manic energy and a lot of the songs are full of little tips and strategies the singer has developed to help them cope with a pretty bewildering world, I think. That's a thread that runs through heaps of these tunes. A little background, uh, David Byrne, um, one of the most famous Scotsmen on the planet. That's right. I forgot he was born over there. Same town as Jackie Stewart, raising <laughs> David. <laughs> but he moved to Canada as a kitty and then was raised in the USA. So, yes. yeah, anyway, they probably claim him in Dumbarton. I'm sure they do. One of the standout things for Talking Heads' second album, More Songs About Buildings and Food, is, oh, hello, Mr Eno's come for a visit. And boy, doesn't he leave his mark. He definitely helped them develop a stranger sound that suited the general agitation of the tracks, I reckon, sonically. I think they met him when they were doing a support tour with the Ramones, which would be a strange double bill anyway. Yeah. You know, I know people always lumped in Talking Heads with the punk movement because they played similar venues and came out around the same time, but the Ramones and, 
and the Talking Heads are quite a different proposition. In London, when they were playing there, is when they met Eno, and he kind of became, by all accounts, fifth member of the band for a while there, causing great ructions with the other band members. Byrne and Eno became so close and would over rule other people's decisions on how they thought songs should go and so on. Yeah, It was almost like a band that Eno was born to produce, I think. This strange mix of pop things, punk things, and disco. You know, just this strange meeting of sounds gave him a lot to play with when he was helping them bolt these kinds of songs together. At this stage, the first album uh, with Brian Eno involved with Talking Heads, it's a happy inclusion at this stage. There aren't ructions, and it makes a big difference, and it sounds great. Yeah, yeah, agreed. One dude wrote a great review of it that I found yesterday, and he was talking about the band's, at the time, deeply unfashionable love of disco coming through these tracks, and he said, this is black music bleached and scorched by the energy of punk, which I quite liked. Yeah. With Our Love, amazing complexity in its structure, real clever little changes. It keeps changing, and every change, to me, seems to be more exciting than the bit that came before it and you uh, can't believe it's going to be more fun and it gets more fun. Agreed. Seems to be a song about infatuation of an almost teenage level at the start, which I think when when you're in your 20s, as he probably was at the time, still going on for him, you know, just a look that makes the boys quiver and sort of high schooly and teenage. The guy doesn't know how to deal with his own infatuation. Something brilliant about it, right? It's just a look
with our love, talking heads from more songs about buildings and food. Okay, let's just address the name of the album. This is contested, but Tina Weymouth uh, was quoted in 1979. I remember the stupid discussion we had about titles for the album. Tina smirked. She's the bassist, by the way, and a hell of a good one. Yeah. At that time, I said, what are we going to call an album that's just about buildings and food? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Brilliant. Like it. I also want to quote Tina Weymouth while she's the subject matter. There's a beautiful interview I've been searching for and I can't find it. Someone asked her something along the lines of what makes music properly funky. I'm not sure if funky was the word, or, yep. uh, but it'll do for now. But her reply was so beautifully, humanly honest. She said, it's like moving your hips towards your lover. Nice. It's great. She's a big influence on this band underappreciated I think what a difference she made to how they sounded all the way through. She was a big parliament and funkadelic fan and she has those big spacious low slung disco and funk influenced bass lines under this agitated choppy guitar so winning combo I think. Yeah, I don't know if we'll be able to play them all but definitely need to play a bit of the next one. The good thing I always love this it's very strange. Burn is spelling out some sort of personal self-improvement manifesto on some, or something on the song he's talking about you know there's a straight line that exists between me and the good thing I found that line and its direction is known to me and he talks about how he's going to follow it and life is going to improve because he has absolute trust in his plan that he's made to succeed. (laughs) But it's somehow also jaunty, the rhythm to it. It's it's a strange beast and marvellous thing. It is. To me, it starts off a little wiggles. God, come on. And boy, do they go. It goes somewhere so much more invigorating and it's the gap between the two. One very simple wiggles and then that complex change. It's just so far apart. It, that helps with the impact. Yeah. And Brian Eno on backing vocals, I think he really is in the band. And you know yeah. in the day I didn't notice it as much but I do now. Yeah.
a good thing. So many ideas that they can afford to furnish one song with half a dozen in it without it getting messy or lost. It's true. Things get piled on with it still sounding coherent and compelling the whole way through. In case you're in any doubt in listener land, we quite like this album. More songs about building some food, Talking Heads, released 1978. And if you're listening live, uh, turning 40. This is the Weekend Variety Ones on Radio Live. More songs about buildings and food, Talking Heads, much-anticipated second album. Ooh, first one was good. How good can this be? And, uh, well, they exceeded themselves, I think. They did. All, all three of the albums they made with Eno kick ass, I reckon. I, I really love Fear of Music, too. All marvellous and peculiar and surprising. It feels like one of those wells you can keep going back to, these early Talking Heads records. I still slap them on and am amazed by them now, even though I know every last shuddering chord on these things by now. It was the first, this week was the first time I'd listened to it in quite a while. A uh, long, long time, I think. And, right. Oh, man, I was hearing things in it that I've never heard before. Maybe I just had a shit stereo last time I played it. <laughs> but the textures I can really discern as kind of Eno-y. Strange, appealing sounds. None right? more so, actually, in some ways than the next song, Warning Sign. There's a very peculiar vocal treatment from Eno on this song. Often, like, the sounds have had the echo pasted on back onto the front of them or something. So a lot of the time, the sound, the vocal sound, sounds like it's being sucked backwards. And meanwhile, you've got David Byrne singing this strange thing that sounds like an inept seduction of a woman. He's using sort of speech from a a hipper young dude than himself, you know, take it easy, baby. It's a natural thing. You have to relax. I've got money now. Come on, baby, etc. Just sounds so wrong somehow. It sounds rather Weinstein, doesn't it? Kind of does. I read one review and the guy talked about the song. He said, David Byrne makes his move on the girl like a sweaty question mark. <laughs> you can imagine the target of his desire backing towards the door thinking, oh, my God. <laughs>
uh, let's rip into some more if we want to play as much as we can because it's a it's a beautiful thing and I think every tune if you're familiar with the album haven't heard it for a while will bring back pleasant memories the yeah. girls just want to be with the girls just so sparkling another great favorite of mine the whole thing pondering gender tension in a really interesting sort of way you know girls are getting into abstract analysis while the boys just want to be mean great Maybe uh, he's the Larry David of New Wave. In what way? Oh, neurotic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The time when I talked to him, he was about to come down to New Zealand. It must have been 2003. And I said how I'd grown up sort of listening to these records growing up in Whanganui and how they seemed strange, you know, these obsessional tales about animals and buildings and air and food and stuff and him singing them in this sort of strangled yelp seemed just marvellous to me and I always imagined he'd be a very socially awkward guy but brainy as hell, you know, tall, dorky, anxious. This is how I thought about it when I was hearing it at the time. And I put this to him when I talked to him on the phone and he said in those early days I would probably have been right. He suspected that as a young man he was mildly autistic. He said... I probably had an undiagnosed case of Asperger's syndrome, but I grew out of it. And my music back then really reflected my personality. So, yeah, 
he was obsessional and peculiar. Mm. And then it just sort of gradually over over time, he became a bit more socially adept. Mm. And he also had a good thing to say about Brian Eno. He said, um, one of the main things I love about working with Brian is he's not afraid to do something that's really simple. He'll use simple combinations of chords that a more virtuoso musician would probably avoid. Yes. And then he'll layer in other unexpected tones over that to make it very unusual. He's a great collaborator. His instrumentals can sometimes come off as a little cold and academic, and he needs the other people's input to warm them up, whether that's you 2 or David Bowie or me. We bring more humanity to his sound. We'll play a little bit of Founder Job. Why not? This story is very peculiar. It presents this picture of a couple who are not getting on super well, and they're bored by each other and by television, and so they decide they're going to go out and make their own shows. So they write the thing, and Judy's in the bedroom inventing situations. Bob's on the street scouting out locations. Their family play different parts <laughs> in this thing. Concentrating on this sort of psychodrama that they're strapping together, it helps save their relationship and make it work again. It's just an old little story. Isn't it lovely? Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's a play by Neil Simon.
lovely rambling outro and reminds me very much of magazine, actually. Yep. We'll take a break and we'll be back with more songs about buildings and food. The most interesting radio show on planet Earth. The Weekend Variety Wireless. On Radio Live. Talking Heads' second album. More songs about buildings and food. Uh, beautiful thing. We'll run out of time if we don't hit some of these soon. Yeah, I think we'll play a little bit, should we, of um, artists only. Seems to refer to, I mean, these dudes met each other at Rhode Island um, School of Design. I think they'd all come from other places around the country and ended up there. I don't know if George, uh, if, um, Jerry Harrison went there, but um, the other three did. He's talking about being some sort of bitter painter. That's a little bit of artists only. Now, something I think that gives an indication of where they would be going with Brian Eno, uh, with the future albums, I'm not in love. I get a real touch of the Izimbras here. Yeah, yeah, it's got that sort of rhythmic intensity to it, doesn't it?
Talking Heads, the first time Brian Eno joined the band. Stay Hungry, we're into side two now. In the day when there were sides. Oh, the vinyl's back, isn't it? Jeez, I hate vinyl. <laughs> Do you? Oh, it's just a rubbish format. I love it to death. Why? Partially the artefact in your hands aspect of it. I like the size of the covers. Yeah. I, I like yeah. sending the sucker over. Oh, really? I, I like the smell of it. Nothing so far to do with the music. No, the music is low down the list, actually. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Stay Hungry, this is another one where it oh, might even be able to sit on Remain in Light. Yes, cranks along, doesn't it? That reminds me of other later things, oh. so yeah. And a lovely little self-reference within the tune. I love it when a tune does this, and it's such a rare thing. Here's that rhythm again, he says. Yeah. It's neat. Wire, do one on 154. Colin Newman announces the chorus by saying, Chorus. Chorus. Nice. I like it. Stay hungry. Okay, we're going to take our final break and come back with the hit off the album. Uh, you haven't heard anything negative so far, but I have got an egg. You're tuned in to the Weekend Variety Wireless. The album, more songs about buildings and food, talking heads from 1978. Oh, goodness, it's 40 years old. Take Me to the River, for me, was a disappointment only in as much as this is the one that was the hit. And it's a cover. All these gorgeously made wonderful things throughout this album from beginning to end. Why was this one the hit?
I don't know. Possibly it, it doesn't um, portray the same sort of wound up worldview of some of the other things. So maybe it was more accessible to more people. Oh. But I think it's still sonically marvellous, actually. Yeah. I really like the keyboard solo-y thing towards the end of it. And he takes a song, an Al Green soul song, with a real sort of religious undercurrent and lots of baptism references and make you think of somebody being just kind of swept away by romance being a bit too complicated or something just by the way that he sings it. In fact, if you see, if you trawl around online, you can find an early um, performance of the band doing this on Saturday Night Live and it's much more jittery and strange and full of agitated guitar that goes off somewhere else entirely. I think it's a, a, a great piece of music done by a great band. But the thing I like most about it, it's got a lovely vicious end with the keyboards. Good on you. Harrison? Jerry Harrison. Jerry Harrison. used to be in The Modern Lovers. And also gets underrated in this band, I think, because he's often the second rhythm guitarist. And the way him and Byrne chop against each other on rhythm guitars is marvellous. I threw all these songs. As David Byrne said, quite rightly about Brian Eno, he has the smarts to be simple when it's necessary. And the final tune on this that we're going out with, The Big Country, a single example of this. Agreed. Introducing a sound that you don't expect from them and that they would 
work into songs years later like slide guitar and stuff just different sounds getting used and this great view of looking down on the country and the tiny lives of people miles below and then the that sort of sour line when it comes in saying I wouldn't live there if you paid me to because usually he's all sort of I love my building and this is kind of septic way to go out but it sounds nice it does sound nice all the way through. You know, glorious sound to it. When I hear the beginning of it, looking now in retrospect, I think, Christ, this could have been the Chills, nineteen eighty-five. Yeah. And it also contains, by the way, the words "no siree." You don't hear that very often. It's like that sounds swell, or any of those terms of a different bygone American era. Good one. That'll do for tonight. Talking Heads, more songs about buildings and food, and there's no shortage of crackers from 1978, as so many really, really talented, enterprising bands got a year of smarts and did great second albums. Yeah. I see the shapes. Where the 
Yep, it would be one of my favourite albums from the time as well. Oh, don't forget, tomorrow night, Sam Hunt is up. Read me a poem. When did I first start scribbling them down? The first one I know of, Graham, is um, after my mother died in 2004. I was put in charge of her papers, you know, letters and things, you know, all that. Mm. And there was this poem written by Sam Hunt in 1952. So that's the first one I'm aware of. Shall I say it's very short? You were six. Seven. Yeah, you'll get the poem tomorrow night. Uh, have a great evening, everybody. The uh, overnight talk is underway. 0800 844 747. 0800 844 747. I shall see you tomorrow, should you wish, after 8 p.m. Uh, tomorrow night. We've got a cracking show lined up. And if you've downloaded this as a podcast, thank you, thank you, thank you.